Good morning. I'm uh, not the usual person up here saying welcome. We're glad you're here, whether here or online or uh, via recording later. We really are pleased to have so many who call Pleasant Street their home. Unfortunately, late this week, Diana Burns came down with quite a significant case of COVID and uh, is struggling, uh, Matthew told me, worse than the other times that she's had it. I did get a note this morning she's improving, for which we thank God. But I got, a, I got a note on Friday, I guess, saying, Bill, could you step in? And I said, yeah. And then I joked to somebody I spent all day yesterday writing today's message, but, uh, which, of course, isn't true. I did make a few changes. But it's good to be here. It's good to have you here. We are here to praise our God. The only announcement I'm going to... I wasn't asked to make any in particular, but next weekend, Suzanne McDonald professor at Western Seminary is going to be here and do a variety of educational things on Saturday and after church on Sunday. She's preaching next Sunday, taking full advantage of her time here. But I'm especially excited about Saturday from 9 to 12, which is how to deal as a Christian with dementia. Unfortunately, Sandy and I are going to be out of town because I had it on my calendar. I was definitely going to be here, but some things changed. But dementia is such a devastating process, and it is so hard on everybody, even most, I think, the people who are closest to the person who is dealing with it. And so I would really encourage you, because none of us knows, I've said often, Lord, take my sight, take my hearing, but please don't take my mind, but I don't know if it's going to be us or someone we love. It's best to be prepared, and I would encourage you to set aside Saturday morning, 9 to 12, right here for that presentation. I invite you to rise for the call to worship. Friends, the Lord is with you. And also with you. We've gathered on this day the Lord made, yet it is not we who chose Christ. We are not here because of our goodness, but because of Christ's grace. We Let us welcome with open arms and open hearts and rejoice in the presence of our God.
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desire faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret. Friends, let's turn to God in a silent confession. Once we were slaves to sin, living lives that led only to death. But thanks be to God. In his mercy, he has set us free from the power of sin and death and has offered us eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we're free to bring honor and glory to God. Thanks be to God. I would now like to invite our deacons to come up. We're going to pass the baskets for our offering. Friends, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can always trust in you. You have an abundant God, and out of your great mercy, we have given us so much. We give you this offering today, and with it, we worship you and give our whole selves to you. Extend and multiply its reach for your kingdom and your glory. May it be a great blessing to many. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
extend this peace of Christ to our neighbors. Would all the kids aged three through second grade please come forward for Kids Street? People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never-stopping, never-ending love, unbreaking, always and forever. 
Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Emily Fortna. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. It's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, we come to you this morning and we sing joyfully to you. We praise you, Lord, with the guitar, the piano. We sing to you a new song. We know that your word is right and true. You are faithful in all that you do. You, the Lord, love righteousness and justice. The earth is full of your unfailing love. You are with us in the good times. Thank you for the provision of volunteers for middle school and high school youth and the successful launches for both programs. We thank you for gems and cadets and a good cadet camp out this weekend. We thank you that these programs bring, we ask that these programs bring the children and youth of our church and community closer to you, Lord. We thank you for the new adult Bible studies that have started this fall. Lord, we thank you that Dr. Susan McDonald can be with us next weekend. We pray that the seminar will, ho will bring hope and wisdom to people struggling with dementia or caring for people who struggle with dementia. We praise you that there are so many exciting things happening in our church right now. But dear God, you are also with us in the difficult times. You are with us in times of grief and sadness. You are there in times of illness. We ask that can you continue to be now, to be with Nellie and Carol, who are now home, but continue to deal with ongoing issues. Give them strength as they recover. We also lift up Karen and Cindy as they continue with cancer treatments. And dear God, we also ask you to be with the Burns family and others as they deal with COVID. Restore health quickly. Dear God, we thank you that you are our God and that you hear our prayers. We wait in hope for you, Lord. You are our help and our shield. And you, our hearts, rejoice, for we trust in your holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from James 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. This is the word of the Lord. I know that she had been looking at a much, much longer passage to read this morning. <laughs> it's good to be here, and uh, thank, I thank the uh, elders for asking in this situation. This is part of a series that I have been working through here occasionally as I come back. It's uh, If only I could... And I've looked at if only I could stop worrying, if uh, only I could really forgive people. There have been a few others. But today I want to talk about if only I could control my words. And I've said in the past that you know, this particular one, if only I could control my thinking, I believe, was one where I said that may be the toughest of all because our mind likes to just spin down the pit of negativity. But, but the more I think about it, this may be the most difficult of all because Scripture tells us that it's impossible. James 3 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. There's God telling us, none of us are ever going to get this perfectly. And uh, it's a good reminder. But the fact that we can't get it perfectly doesn't mean that we can't get it better. 
We certainly can. It may be impossible, but we can get a tight rein on it. Uh, James said in verse chapter 1, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worth, worthless. I, I, hear, I hear him saying there, it's possible, not to perfectly, but to largely learn to control this very, very dangerous organ that we call the tongue. If we don't do it, it creates all kinds of problems. Perhaps you, you've experienced some of them yourself with, with a spouse or with a parent or child. It, it's often the people closest to us who we hurt the worst with the things that we say and the things we don't say. You know, there's a lie that we tell as we're, we're told as children, and I can start it, and I bet you all of you can finish it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will... Oh, what nonsense. What absolute nonsense. In fact, sticks and stones may hurt, but those wounds heal. Some of the words that we speak, or sometimes we even worse, don't speak, like if we never ever tell our spouse, I love you, those, those do lasting damage. In fact, in premarital counseling, for years, I've, I've told people that they are not to hurt each other and I talk, of course, about physical abuse, which should be absolutely off the table without exception for all of us. But then I also talk about the hurt of words, and I talk about speaking words that break the vows that we have made. And by that, I mean, the vow is, I, I, you know, I will take you for my wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this time forward as long as life shall last. And, and so when we say something like, I hate you, those cut. And I will tell you that if spoken once, I want a divorce. If spoken even once in a fit of anger, and you don't really mean it, but it just comes out because you know it's going to hurt the other person, you can get past it. You can survive it. Marriages survive a ton of stuff. We all hurt each other in a variety of ways. But those are words that are probably never 40 years later, going to be forgotten by the person you speak them to. We damage our relationships when we don't control our tongues. And wrong words can make a bad situation worse. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. You've got a problem. There's a situation that's not good. You've got, you got an issue at work. Maybe, maybe it's, say, with the boss. You don't like the boss. The boss is micromanaging and over-controlling and, or whatever. And... So what you do is you start going to the water cooler and you start talking about it with your fellow employees. Don't you hate it when they do this? And isn't it awful when they do that? You won't believe what they said to me yesterday. And, and you know what happens when we do that? So it's a bad situation. I'm not denying that being micromanaged stinks. But when we do nothing but complain about it, it makes that bad situation worse and it spreads the upset and, and it makes the entire environment toxic. So not controlling our tongues does huge damage, but controlling them, putting a tight rein on them, will do tremendous good. We become better people by doing so. It's been a while. I don't expect any of you remember any of the former sermons, but when I talked about controlling your thoughts, I said, control your thoughts and you'll change your world. And there's some truth to that. Norman Vincent Peale said that. But there's another principle that to keep in mind, and that is if we can control our words, we'll change ourselves. 
And this is the text that was read earlier where, where the Bible says we all stumble in many ways. But if we are never at fault in what we say, we're perfect, able to keep our whole body in check. Now, we're not going to get it perfect, but the better we do it, the better we as people will be. And we'll build other people up. One of the advantages of controlling our words is that instead of tearing people down, which is why I talked about the trouble that we can cause, we can actually build up people and edify them and help them be better. Ephesians 4 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only as what is helpful to build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's, that's what we should do with our tongues. Not tear down, but build up. Benefit the people we're speaking to. We have the power to make people want to quit. We also have the power to make people want to try one more time. There is a spiritual gift called prophecy, and some people think when the Bible talks about prophecy, what it's talking about is calling people out, you know, confronting people. Oh, you wrath, you know, you, you den of vipers and, and you awful people and return to the Lord and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there is some of that in Scripture. But the heart of prophecy is quite different. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouraging and comfort. Not to confront them, but to strengthen them and comfort them. We build people up, we become better people, and finally we can give glory to God. It's one of the things God wants us to do with our tongue. The psalmist in Psalm 63 said, My lips will glorify you, my God. There's a reason that we come into church and we say, We're glad you're here, God's glad you're here, and then we stand, and what's the first thing we do? We sing our praise because we want to bring glory to the God who in Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness and salvation and the promise of eternity and the release from the burden of our sin. And and, and with a gift like that, what response is there to say, thank you, Lord, praise you, God. And, And if we use our tongues well, that is what we will do. So then comes the big question is, how do we do this? How do we, how do we put a tight rein on our tongues? How do, we, how do we take steps to get better at these things? And Scripture gives a variety of principles. And I'm going to share three this morning. The first is you don't need to say everything that you know. There's no need to repeat everything that you have heard or to, repeat, to say everything that you know. The story of some people who were having dinner one evening, they began discussing Christian music, and, and one lady, lady said, oh, I just love this certain male Christian singer. Every time I hear him sing, my spirit soars, and it, and it lifts me up, and someone else said, oh, you know, I have a friend who goes to Overeaters Anonymous, and, and do, would you believe it, this man has been, gone to Overeaters Anonymous for years. You know, you, you may not realize it, but, but I was told that he, he binges and purges, and he's done so for years. Well, number one, I would prefer not to hear about binging and purging when I'm eating. I'm sorry. It's just not the topic I want brought up. But more importantly, all the 12-step groups have anonymous in their title for a reason. Gamblers Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, 
so forth. Because the whole point of the group is that confidentiality will be honored. And third, blabbing that in that setting did nothing to edify other people. It did nothing to glorify God. It did nothing to build relationships. It did only damage. Now, if that, if that singer decides publicly, and I've known public figures who have done this, they have, they have talked about the time that they were raped, they have talked about the struggle they held with alcoholism and, and how, by God's grace, they have come out of it. They have, they have talked about their struggles, and that's their okay. I mean, that's their business. But unless and until they do that, it's none of ours to say everything that we know. In Proverbs 17, the wise man says, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. We don't have to say everything we know. It may be true, even if it's true, it doesn't always have to be said. Does it build up people? Does it glorify God? Does it restore relationships? If it doesn't do those things, don't say it. And you don't have to say everything you think. Some people, you may know someone like this, some people believe that they have just a little bit more knowledge about just, any, just about any topic that might ever get raised in conversation. I don't care what it is. You talk about COVID and they will have an opinion and they will state it with authority. You, uh, you, you talk about quitting smoking and they will have an opinion and they will speak about it with authority. You, 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 you talk about world population and they will have read an article recently and they will speak with authority. They will, they will, they, they will be ready to interject with the word of truth, whatever the topic. We can fall into this habit unintentionally, but we need to be careful with it. It's been off the air for a while, but there was a call, show called Cheers, and for some of you who are quite young, you may not have ever seen it, but a number of you watched it. It was, it was a good comedy. And they had a character called Cliff Clavin. Now, Cliff Clavin was a, a nice guy who knew just a little bit about everything and had a little bit brighter answer about everything. And it became the butt of a running joke. Because there goes Cliff again. It's been said that every group of friends has one Cliff Clavin. And you think about your group of friends and you say, you know, I don't know anybody in my group who's like Cliff Clavin. I'm not sure what that says about you. Because this struggle is real and it is common. And so scripture says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. You want, you, want, you want people to think you know a lot and that you're wise and stop talking so much and stop sharing your opinion so much and stop telling people that you can one-up them so much. Of, of the three things I'm going to talk about. This is the one I have to admit that I struggle with. And I can be the Cliff Clavin in the group. Because of the nature of what I have done all my life, I have always read broadly on many topics. 
And the fact is, I do know quite a bit about a lot of things. And I find myself unintentionally falling into exactly this trap. And so I have to be self-aware of it and try to pull back. And I don't always succeed. But through the years, I have enjoyed as well learning so much. And I have learned that no matter how much I know, there is still more to learn. And I thought about this over the past couple of days, right here at, at Pleasant Street. And I thought about the times that I have sat with Will and Helen Banning and just listened and learned about the amazing process of running a greenhouse and growing beautiful plants and then cutting them and arranging them into arrangements of great beauty. Skill I don't have. It's fun to listen to. I can remember, it's been a while, but talking with Don Koopman, and here, just listening to him talk about the challenges of running a business. Yeah, those challenges are real, and those responsibilities are real, and, and, and the sense that you are responsible for the livelihoods of so many people and the weight that carries are real. And listening to people like Don have helped me understand that better. We, Sandy and I would sit with Jim and Jean Nightem with some regularity. Love those people. And listening to Jim talk about being a milkman back when there were such things. <laughs> Amazing. And the story about how he had the opportunity to buy that huge tract of land up on Williams Hill and how Gene didn't want him to do it because it was just too big a risk. And yet he said, wait, you know, and yeah, it is so fun to just listen to people and their experiences and their stories. Do you want to be known as the best conversationalist in any group? The secret, learn to ask a few questions and then just shut up and, and listen. And people will think that you are the brightest, best conversationalist in the world because, like me and like us all, nobody doesn't like talking about themselves. Learn to listen first and only then speak. You don't have to say everything you know. You don't have to say everything you think. And you don't need to repeat everything you hear. And this overlaps with that first one a little bit, but it's, it's, it's a little different. Gossip. We, we, we take it so lightly. You know, I'm going to go over to Millie and, and just catch up on the latest gossip, we'll say. Or I'm going to sit with the guys and we're just going to catch up on the latest gossip as if it's just, well, it's just gossip. But God doesn't ever talk about just catching up on gossip. It seriously harms people and institutions. Proverbs 16, a perverse person stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. You hear that word, perverse? God says if we make the habit of just gossiping, about you know, blabbing and talking about other people, and have you ever noticed that, that almost all gossip is somehow negative about other people or other institutions? And by other people, I mean 
Did, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so said? And, and it's always got, you know, it's, it's kind of like by tearing other people down, we build ourselves up. If we can only make them worse than us, then we're better than we would be otherwise. But we also do it in institutions. And I'll just use the church because that has been my sphere of work for the last four decades. I have seen churches torn apart because people made presumptions about why the elders made a decision without ever hearing from the elders why they made a decision. And they're always negative inferences and assumptions. And then they chat about it and they talk about it and they spin it. And before long, those you know, church grapevines, <laughs> they are strong and thick and they go fast. And after a while, this guess, this inference, this, this negative thought about why something is being done has spread and it's been repeated so often that people are saying, boy, what a lousy church that is. Why am I even in this church anymore? It's time for me to leave. And uh, Sandy and I just spent three, three months in a church where that was a huge problem. And I preached this sermon and I looked at him and I said, you got to stop because you're tearing yourselves apart. A gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 17, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. You hear how that's the opposite of gossip? You hear something negative, and instead of repeating it and amplifying it, whoever fosters love covers over an offense. And whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. God thinks that those who gossip are perverse. That's a strong word. I think these three steps will help us begin to get that tight rein on our tongue that James talked about, that, that would make us better people. You know, he said again, we will stumble in many ways, and we're going to stumble in this too, Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. We aren't going to get perfect, but the better we control this instrument, the better we will control ourselves. You don't need to say everything you know. You don't need to say everything you think. You don't need to repeat everything you hear. And the answer to this is simply speaking less. Final verse from Proverbs 10. When words are many, sin is not absent. They who hold their tongues are wise. Let's pray. Lord, all of us can remember times that our tongue has cut like a sword. We have lashed out at others and we have harmed them. We have talked about others, and we have harmed them. We have used our tongues to tear down rather than to build up, to destroy rather than to edify. Almighty God, we are sorry and forgive us, and we ask that you will help us self-consciously, deliberately, step by step, day by day, 
regularly to think about what we're saying, to put a check on this instrument of destruction, and to learn to speak words that comfort rather than words that destroy. With your help, we can do it. With your help, we will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite those who are serving to come forward at this time. Readings from first, reading from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And those last words may sound like maybe none of us should actually take this gift from God. But discerning the body of Christ, I believe, in this setting, is talking about looking to your right and to your left and recognizing that we are sinners jointly, all of us in need of God's forgiveness, and seeing in one another and ourselves people who have discovered that our salvation can be found only by receiving the gift of God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and knowing we are forgiven, recommitting ourselves again and again to serving him with the gifts that he has given us. If you are a person who sins, who knows that you are forgiven and are committed to holiness, come, for the table is spread. Shall we, shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for this gift of grace, for this opportunity to proclaim to the world that we are sinners saved by grace, for this opportunity for us to remember the power and the wonder and the horror of the need for Jesus Christ to go to the cross for us to celebrate the reality that Jesus is no longer in the grave, but has been raised from the dead, has gone to heaven and waits to receive us there. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, and we receive them with thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. There are some of the individual cups for those who prefer not to deal with the shared plate. And if you did not pick one up as you came in, just raise your hand and hold it up until one of the elders brings you the cup. The gifts of God for the people of God.
the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. The cup that is poured out is a sharing in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So take and drink. Remember, believe that the blood of our Lord was poured out for the complete forgiveness of every single one of our sins. Let us pray. The gift of grace. We sing about amazing grace. And we sing about the wonderful gift of grace. And yet, the knowledge of your grace is almost beyond comprehension. That you do not give us what we deserve for what we all deserve is your punishment. You give us what we need freely and without compensation. You offer yourself so that we may be your children. In this meal, you not only remind us of that promise of grace, but you transmit grace to us. And we are filled with the knowledge that we are yours. You are ours. And we together are the people of God. Lord Almighty, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing.
to join together as we together say the word that our Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Receive the parting blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and always give you his peace. Amen. Praise Him for He is your help and salvation. 
Jesus Christ. You may go in peace.